Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Before we get into the episode, I just want to direct everyone's attention to some of the links that we put in our description. One, to Every Town for Gun Safety, which is the largest gun violence prevention organization in the U.S., and also a place where you can donate directly to the families of the victims of this tragedy that took place in Texas on Tuesday. And, you know, of course, we are as horrified as all of you, and of course, our hearts go out to all of those affected, but it's just not enough. Like we really need to use our sadness and our anger almost as momentum to really do something about this because this has to change. This is absolutely not acceptable. And while I have you here, I just want to direct your attention to those links. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hi, Em. <laughs> I'd like to start out by saying that for anybody who did not watch this, it is required viewing that you watch the video Ramona posted to her story <laughs> where she met a fan. I'm sure you saw it because we posted it, but it is one of the most classic Ramona things I think I've ever witnessed. If I had to describe Ramona to someone, I would put that video in front of them and say, do with this what you will. Right. Like this woman comes up to her apparently saying this very heartfelt thing and Ramona's like, one second, I actually need to film that to show that I am inspiring to women. (laughs) And she's just like tenderly kissing her on the cheek. It's a lot to handle. Like the whole thing is just too perfect and classic that you you can't make this shit up. No, you can't make it up. So I just want to make sure we'll put the link in the description for anyone that just so happened to miss that. So one quick news thing before getting into Beverly Hills. If you guys remember the last two or so weeks, we've been talking about how Dolores wasn't invited to Teresa's engagement party. And initially we were a little bit confused by that. We later find out that it's because Dina was there. And as you know, Dina is probably Teresa's ride or die and Dina and Dolores don't speak. But this week, something very interesting happened on Instagram because Dina clarified in a comment. So Teresa posted a photo and this account Real Housewives Bravo commented, 
Love that you and Dina remain friends in spite of Caroline's ultimatum to her sister. And someone responds, look what Caroline, the so-called all foreign about family did to Dina, her sister. She wrote a letter for Dina's ex-husband after his allegedly involvement in her burglary and being attacked. No wonder Dina chose Teresa and never listens to Caroline. If you guys remember, May of last year, Dina's ex-husband, who is Tommy Manzo, who is technically Caroline's brother-in-law, because if you remember, Dean and Caroline married brothers. He allegedly orchestrated this entire kind of burglary to have Dina and her now husband attacked. And Caroline wrote a letter in support of him. Now this is where it gets juicy. Someone responds and says, Dolores wrote the letter to exonerate Dina's ex from the beating and burglary. And someone responds, I thought it was Caroline who wrote it. So if it was Dolores, why is Teresa still friends with her? I mean, that comes across as no loyalty towards Dina. If a friend of mine did that to another friend, I wouldn't bother with her again. Loyalty means everything to me and friends and family. And Dina responds and says, both did. Meaning both Dolores and Caroline wrote these letters in support of her ex-husband in hopes of exonerating him. Which, I don't know, maybe that was information that we were supposed to know. I had no idea of that until I saw that comment. Wait, I thought this was like a holy shit moment. That is, that's a big bomb drop. No, to me, that's a huge deal. I mean, if you guys remember, this was massive. It was in May of last year. And basically what was alleged was that her ex-husband orchestrated this entire burglary and attack. It was no joke. So if that's the case, of course it makes sense that they wouldn't want to be in the same room. It totally makes sense. Honestly, to me, it is more surprising that Teresa is even willing to be around Dolores or like play nice with her because she is so ride or die Dina. Like that is like her best friend, her sister, her life. The four of them travel as couples, which we know is so important to Teresa. And I also don't know why Dolores would act so confused about not being invited to this engagement party. Right. That's what I'm saying. I I don't know either. Or maybe they had a deal that they weren't going to bring it up on the show. I have to say, I think that if this was anybody but Dolores, Teresa probably would have cut ties. But remember what we talked about. They go back. They have that old kind of loyalty, no matter what, we'll always have each other's back on some level thing. I know. It just feels like this kind of stuff always gets brought up. And especially when Teresa had to make a point and defend herself, that's when all of her like prior promises or engagements or loyalty go completely out the window. I agree with you, though. I thought this was a really big deal. And it was such a simple comment. All she said was both did. But that's all we needed to know. Oh, oh, my God. Literally chills when you read that. I know. Did we post that comment? No, because she deleted it. Oh, Like, I don't know how far after it was up for at least like four or five hours. And then as soon as I saw it, I think we were asleep. I went back and it was gone. Wow. So I wonder if that was like an impulsive thing. I don't know. But either way, that is wild and makes so much more sense. And everybody obviously caught it immediately. It made headlines like you you can't just delete a comment these days. If anyone knows, it's us. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. 
And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the Viral Turquoise Tube. I saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Okay, moving to Beverly Hills. Are you ready for that? I'm very ready. (laughs) This was a really good episode, but... I definitely had to watch it two times through. Like the first time there was just so much happening that I didn't feel like I fully got it all. But watching it again, I was like, okay, I have my head screwed on straight now. Well, because when you watch it the second time, you know that the scene is coming where they're all sitting in Kyle's living room and you almost can like turn your brain on and say, okay, focus. How did we get from A to B? And the first time it literally just like slapped me across the face and I was rewinding and pausing and trying to figure it out. I have like my sushi in one hand and the remote in the other. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a round two kind of thing. And no, it had to be. Even because especially when Crystal started bringing those things up, that's when you have to activate into the previous season mode and like really put yourself back in Lake Tahoe, wherever that house was. Yeah, I was like digging through my files in my file cabinet of my brain. Yeah, exactly. Before getting into the actual episode, I would love to start with a little follow-up to a discussion that we were having last week. Because on last week's episode, I basically posed the question of being like, I feel like I'm missing something with Sutton because I go online and it feels like everyone is her number one fan. And I totally get her appeal as a housewife, but I felt like people were really connecting to her in a way that I wasn't. And I was a little afraid to say it, honestly, because I find that people are so diehard for her. But I think people could sense I was genuinely curious. Like I really did feel like I was missing something. And we got some amazing responses of people explaining their stance or explaining why they didn't get it or did get it. And then Totally coincidentally, this account that we follow at Ono oh Chels posted kind of a series of tweets explaining from her perspective where the Sutton love comes from. And I think we should start out this section reading it because personally for me, as someone who didn't fully get it, I found it to be informative since that was pretty much on par with most of the DMs we were getting. Totally. Okay, I'm going to read basically what she said. I'll paraphrase a little. Welcome to my TED Talk, why I'm all in on Sutton. To paraphrase Kyle Richards, in this town, it's Beverly Hills where storylines are curated and everyone is a big fat phony. On a show where everyone is hyper aware of their image, it's refreshing to have a woman so blissfully unaware of what an asshole she is. She's self-centered, out of touch, and a perpetual victim. But she's also a breath of fresh air. 
on a franchise full of women who are also all of those things, but have learned to play the game in order to appear like they aren't. It's nice to see someone finally own it, baby. To be clear, Sutton is usually wrong. Like, really, really wrong. The gobsmacked look on Doogie's face as Sutton's double down about Dorit's burglary says it all. This cast has a script, but Sutton can't read. That scene was an opportunity for damage control and to win back the audience. But Sutton isn't aware there's an audience to win back. She's just living her life putting out fires. For too long, the Fox Force, whatever the fuck, controlled the show with an agreed-upon culture. Loyalty is currency, optics take precedence, and friendship is just something you can postmate to the dinner table with a Rolex watch. We don't talk about the husband. So it's hilarious to see a tiny blonde woman on the verge of tears bring an entire reality TV dynasty to its knees just by not understanding social cues. What a twist. Sutton is so deeply unlikable that I just might love her. When I read this, it just made so much sense to me. Like, it makes sense. I get it why she's a good housewife. And I actually understand more the difference between what everyone was saying. I don't think anyone is necessarily saying they connect with her so much as a person, but more just as the unsung hero who's come in and flipped this group on its head and kind of challenged them and looked at situations differently and has given us great TV. Right. And that I could totally get on board with. And that's why I was so appreciative for this take, because it really outlined where I think my source of curiosity was coming from. And I still stand by what I said last week, which is that if anyone else responded to Dorit's robbery with their French designer, I think they would have gotten absolutely ripped to shreds. But because as this post put it, she's so blissfully unaware that in a way, it's almost like a get out of jail free card. It's very, very interesting. We also got another DM that I asked if I could read and I promised I would keep it confidential, which is a totally separate take, but I thought this may be interesting for some of our gay listeners. (laughs) This person said, listening to this week and you asked for Sutton thoughts to explain the disparity you feel versus the internet. And one thing kept flashing loudly in my mind. It's because you're not gay men. (laughs) I think she has this camp aspect that gay men love. I can't speak for the whole group, so I'm projecting how I feel. Rin and Eric are like the mainstream played out divas gays are over and done with, and Sutton is the new guard. Campy and unpredictable and challenging norms like the Met exhibition. Hard to define camp, but she embodies that. Gays like the avant-garde and standing what's next and identifying the new queendom, and often it's irrational, but she's the only one on Beverly Hills now who fits since the Fox 4-5 is so played out. Just my two gay sense. I just love that take. I think the two of those takes combined make total sense, and honestly helped me going into this episode have a clearer understanding of like how everyone feels when they watch her and also what her position is in this group. Totally. And the other thing is that when I posed that question last week, people were gracious enough to really take the time and actually respond. And we read through every single DM. So thank you to everyone who gave their thoughts because it was actually very helpful to me. But I will say it wasn't the overwhelming majority, but we definitely got a decent amount of people being like, holy fuck, I'm feeling the same way and I felt like I was alone. So if you're one of those people that was on my page last week, maybe hearing these two things could be beneficial for you as well. I don't know. We're kind of all in this together. (laughs) Yeah, we all are in this together and we have the best listeners who gave us both sides of the coin. So it honestly helped me so much to read all of those before watching the episode last night. Totally, totally. I mean, this, like we said, it was a shit show. There was a lot happening, but we did get a lot accomplished, which I think is important. It's important, and I also think we got a little bit of everything in this episode. Like, I felt so fulfilled after watching it because we had drama. We had Kyle's beautiful house. We had more into Dorit's story and understanding, like, her mindset. I guess my top-level thought, which is probably the least controversial opinion, is that 
Garcelle is a ride or die. Like she not only is an excellent housewife, she's a really, really good friend. And you can tell it's not just for the show. Like to me, she's the type of person that has this strict set of morals that she operates by. And that's consistent regardless of who she's interacting with. When Garcelle in the moment that they were all talking about Sutton, when Sutton wasn't there, when they're at Crystal's house, said, I don't want to talk about this while she's not here. Let's wait until she is. I could hear hundreds of housewives in the past, like rolling over in their grave almost because I know that is what everybody has in hindsight said. You should have said that, you know, you are my friend. You're my best friend. Why wouldn't you say, let's not talk about this while she's not here. That is like housewives 101 that I haven't really been able to see anyone pull off until now. And not only did she do part A, she did the follow through. She waited till Sutton was there and then drove it home by saying, okay, now that Sutton is here, let's talk about her. Let's unpause the conversation that I paused last week. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's why her method works because she always follows through. It's not like she's trying to deflect or just keep the peace. She's totally down to talk about it. She just wants to make sure all of the key players are in the room when she does so. Right. And honestly, at the point that she re-brought it up, it maybe wasn't necessary again because it kind of seemed like they had put the fire out when they were at the store and all made up and whatever. But Garcelle was like, no, fuck that. I'm going to be the good friend and I'm going to make sure because I was there that everything that I heard when Sutton wasn't around was repeated. And I want to have that sort of checks and balances going on. And that is the kind of friend you want if you're Sutton. If you're the other girls who just want to gossip and talk shit, you're like, oh God, we are not getting away with anything. Yeah. And to your point, it probably wasn't the most necessary because I have to say that the conversation between Sutton and Dorit at the store when she apologized, to me, that felt like it wrapped it up in a bow. Clearly it didn't because a lot more shit went down. But hypothetically speaking, if Garcelle didn't re-bring it up, although I fully support her doing so, I honestly think we could have moved past it. I do too, because I think Sutton's explanation was actually very clear and it was received well by Dorit and Dorit was very understanding and vice versa. And Sutton was understanding too. And also Sutton did have a moment or a couple moments of actual self-awareness, which I feel like we sometimes only get in little pieces with her of understanding that she reacted in such a way and gets a little bit weird when she has to face topics or conversations that she wants to avoid or wants to block out. Like she knows that about herself. So for Dorit to hear that, especially because Dorit was hearing all these things sort of out of context and also with a complete lack of backstory, it was hundred percent necessary. But I understand, like you said, why Garcelle did it because she wasn't there in the store listening to that conversation. And I think she wanted to really cross her T's, dot her I's and make sure that there weren't things that were left out that were said without Sutton being there, that the girls were kind of just going to get off without a hitch about. Right. And also it's a show. Like if you were going to single-handedly stop the gossip session, then you have to be responsible for re-bringing it up or we wouldn't have television, which is why to me, it almost felt like Garcelle had a little bit of her producer hat on this episode, but in a really positive way. She understands that there has to be a fluidity when you're watching the episode. So if she says pause, there has to be a moment where she says play again. Right. And she was conscious of that. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, this is so not the point, but I have to just spend one minute discussing Diana having this very legitimate lack of familiarity with shopping in a physical store. <laughs> it, it was like so, that to me is a level of wealthy that is 
almost above comprehension. You know, it's one thing to watch people shop and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on Rodeo Drive. Okay, that's one thing. But to really be so deeply uncomfortable and unfamiliar with the concept of walking into a store is really something. Yeah, I mean, we have seen housewives time and time again go into Hermes and Cartier and have personal shoppers be greeted with champagne and they have their credit card waiting for them on file. And we've always thought that was it. That was like the epitome. So now to have a housewife who literally looks down on that is just, you're right. I can't wrap my head around it. And I have to say, watching her glam team and her assistant go ahead of time and check out the room and make sure it's all to her standards and say she doesn't like not facing the the door and having her hair and makeup setting up. I felt like that's how we felt when we first saw Erica because it was such a level of glam squad and almost attendance to her that we hadn't seen in a long time. So it almost felt like, oh, there is a new bitch in town. And I have to say, to give kudos to Erica too, she does not seem jealous or angry or mean at someone like Diana for having the wealth that she once had. Like when she's talking about that Cartier Panther ring that she's like, I need someone in my life to have it and you're the one who should. And someone said, oh, why don't you get it? And she's like, oh, I can't afford that. Like she almost has a good attitude. Whereas I feel like she could have gone the other direction and been really, really salty about it and been like, oh, well, I once had that too. Or why, well, you know, my past life, I did this too. I did that too. And she isn't. And I, I'm actually shocked by that. Wait, I honestly felt that way too. But then online, that was not the tone because I think a lot of people feel like she's crying poor almost as a way to get sympathy. I didn't take it as trying to get sympathy. I felt like she was using almost humor as a coping mechanism to deal with the differences in her two lives. And I almost feel like Erica is the type of person where she'd rather be surrounded by wealth than have no wealth at all. Like I almost think that she views proximity to wealth as a better thing than just not experiencing it in the way that she used to in the slightest. I guess the thing that I had stuck in my head that I'm now realizing is that is when Shannon Bedore went to tour Heather's house this past yes, season. Yes. And every little like detail or thing that Heather has in this insane customized mansion, which Shannon used to have in her life with David. I mean, that house is in my top five ever, the Bedore's house. Everything. She would pull out the warming drawers for her towels and Shannon would say, oh, I used to have those in mine. And it was like partially that she felt like she had to prove something to Heather of like she knows the deal, like she's built and managed a home like this before, but also like the reflection of her past life of like, oh, what I used to have. So I don't know. I guess I was sort of expecting Erica to have that thing of like, oh, I had, I had that ring or I, you know, I have, I love the Hermes. I know everything about it. And I went to Paris and I tried this, like I, I just, and she didn't do that. And she literally was being sarcastic, but she was also being truthful. Like, oh, I literally cannot afford that right now. You know, it's interesting because we didn't know how she was going to kind of navigate this new lifestyle. And it is interesting to see. I know that it's not favorable in the eyes of a lot of viewers, but this particular scene didn't bother me too much. No, I mean, this was such a tiny, tiny moment, but I actually felt myself being surprised by it. And I just thought that was like a whole interesting discussion. And I'd like to hear what people think because obviously she's had not so great moments, but I actually thought this one was like kind of real and I was happy to see it. Yeah, although someone did make the point, which was in addition to everything that went on last season, they think one of the reasons that Erica feels this way towards Sutton is because of 
potentially a jealousy in regards to the finances. Like on top of everything else, she also has this financial freedom that Erica no longer has. And it's interesting because I don't find that at all with Diana. Like I find the way that Erica views Diana to be of just pure admiration and almost kind of as an inspiration. But I kind of could see that being a point of jealousy for Sutton because she already dislikes her so much that it's like, oh, and she has all the money in the world. Fuck this shit. No, I so agree. Just just an interesting tidbit I thought I would bring up. Okay. So getting back to the house, unless there's anything from the actual opening that you want to discuss. No, let's get back into it. I mean, this is, like we said, Garcelle comes in hot and this is really when chaos ensues. Kyle's living room in La Quinta is literally cursed. Nothing good ever happens there. It has seen some shit. It really has. It's seen some shit. So something that I found to be really kind of bizarre, and I say this as somebody who is fundamentally obsessed with Diana Jenkins, also forgot to say this last week, one of her homes, the Malibu one, is the Malibu house that the Kardashians rented for their final season of Kardashians. I know a lot of people know that, but we forgot to say it last week. The house that had the vehicular that went up and down from the ocean. Yes. That was like, that was next level. I actually remember when we were doing the Kardashian recap from those episodes, Julie and I coming on and being like, listen, I know we've seen it all with the Kardashians, but this feels like another level. And so then to find out later that it is Diana Jenkins' house, it just feels very full circle. Like they were renting that house. That was her house. I think as she has since sold it, I'm not positive. We have to like look into the more logistics, but either way, fucking phenomenal, gorgeous. Anyway, all of that to say, even though I do like her and even though I am kind of just continually confused by Sutton, this was not her place. Like what she was saying is true. Sutton is a little bit clumsy with her words, but also you you don't know her well enough to be able to make that assertion. She just like really jumped in and was like, well, here are my top line first impressions of Sutton. And it was kind of like... I, I want to hear them, but I don't want to hear them right now while we're in this discussion and fight that is so layered and really does dig back to last season and the history and the dynamics of the friendship. Like, sit back and just take it in for a minute and then give us your thoughts maybe later or tomorrow and we can hear from a third party what your perspective is on the situation. Right. And then, which I know this is jumping, we'll get back in a second. How weird was it that after that whole thing, she's in the car alone with Crystal and Sutton? And it's like, didn't you just entirely slam her character like five minutes ago? I think Diana should feel lucky that so much other shit happened that pushed her commentary to the side. Because otherwise, if that had been the star of the show, it would have been like even more awkward. But they had so much more on their minds that it was like, okay, we're going to break that down later. Where do you stand on thinking, just because I saw this circulating, that Rinna basically told her to say that? I saw people saying that. I want to get your take before I say mine. Um, Look, I wouldn't put it past Rinna, but I also did feel like there were moments in this conversation, which we'll get to in a minute, that Rinna was actually the voice of reason, which is like, I love Rinna, but that is just never the case. So I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think that Rinna said to her, say this, because I don't think Diana is listening to anyone to tell her to say anything. I wouldn't be shocked if when Rinna had been describing the cast to her, she mentioned that Sutton is kind of clumsy, because by the way, she kind of is. It was just a poorly timed statement. I don't know. I feel like clumsy is almost too delicate of a word that Rinna wouldn't plant that to for somebody to say. Like, it's not powerful enough. But I think Diana, just from her 
experience, her very limited experience with Sutton has realized, oh, she is maybe different than the way I handle situations. And here's my two cents just from where I'm sitting. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. Okay, so we're really getting into it now, which like I said earlier, if I'm Sutton, I'm thinking to myself, I just went through this. Like I just very authentically apologized to Dorita. I don't know why I have to relive this again, but... She can't be upset, I guess, because it was technically coming from Garcelle, who really was doing it to be a good friend. So we know how we got here. And this is when everyone's basically saying that Sutton wasn't empathetic. And then at a left fucking field, Crystal comes in, basically explaining that she feels the entire situation is very hypocritical and they can't tell someone how to feel. And last year, her feelings were not validated. And let me tell you, there were a lot of things that I saw coming this episode. Like I clearly saw that Erica was going to come for Sutton. I thought there was some side shit. I was so not expecting this to be one of those things. And that's why when we were discussing in the intro, I had to like reorient myself. No. And when we had seen that clip of Dorit sort of losing it, I never thought it would be this situation and targeted at Crystal in that way. It was so, it was so just like kind of random how we got here, but I actually do understand it now when we go back and look at it. And I think there's a big disconnect in this scene, which is Kyle and Dorit thinking that 
Crystal is trying to compare literally the situations of her feeling violated with when Sutton walked in her room last season and she was naked trying to give her a coat and Dorit being robbed at gunpoint. Crystal is never trying to compare those situations. She's just trying to scale it all the way down to this habit that she feels these women have, which is if they can't relate or don't agree with an emotion or a feeling and think it's to this or to that or not how they would react, they invalidate it. And she was not trying to compare, like Kyle was getting so caught up of like, well, we're comparing apples and oranges here. Like, you know, Sutton walking in your room has nothing to do with Doree being robbed at gunpoint. And Crystal's like, yeah, obviously I know that. But she was talking more just about the emotions and how they handle certain situations when it comes to people and allowing them to feel the, the way that they feel. Yes. And I so understood the frustration on both ends because if I'm Crystal, I'm like, don't even insult me with thinking that I would compare these two situations. Like, of course I'm not doing that. If I'm them though, it did come so seemingly out of left field. Clearly it wasn't. Clearly she had been feeling this way for a while and this just triggered her. But I understand why they were struggling to kind of make that comparison in the moment because their head so wasn't there. But when I was watching this, I was like, okay, everything you are saying, Crystal, is valid. And clearly it wasn't something that was fully discussed in the way that it needed to be. At the same time, I felt like it was a losing battle because of the moment she chose to bring it up. And again, she didn't choose to. She was just triggered in the moment and it came out. And I honestly respect that authenticity. I'd rather have her do it now and maybe be a little bit poorly timed than plan it perfectly and have it come across as staged. But the resolve that they wanted was never going to be there because the real core of the conversation here so wasn't about that. Well, I also think from where Crystal is sitting, no pun intended, but while she's watching this happen, it's crystal clear to her, this connection between what happened with her and what's happening in the present moment. Like, I think she just saw it so blatantly and it, from her perspective, didn't feel like it needed such an explanation of like, oh my God, are you guys kidding me? Like, do you see what's going on here? Where the other women had absolutely no idea what she was talking about. So it's like, it's just all about perspective here. And that is okay. And clearly the moral of the story at the end of the day is that everyone has a different perspective and outlook and those all have to be honored. So it was like, they were fighting about feeling a certain way and seeing things a certain way. And then again, we see Crystal bringing up how she's feeling in that moment that these, these two things are connected and they're again saying, you're so wrong. How could you even see it that way? When Clearly she does. I almost was so frustrated on her behalf in this moment because what she was saying was real. And like I said, I'm glad that she was finally saying it, but you could see even she was catching herself once she realized that this entire conversation naturally was going to be in the context of Dorit being robbed and that was always going to take precedent. So it it was almost like she was never going to be able to fully get her point across because it was always being compared to the quote greater circumstance that was happening, which is like, I'm happy she said it in the moment because she felt it in the moment, but also, fuck, you were never going to get the response from them because they were always going to feel like it was taking away from a more, quote, serious situation. You know what I mean? Well, that's the problem is that anything that's spoken about in the context or around or even honestly in the same time frame as Dorit's robbery is never going to be a winning point because that just takes precedent. Like that is, will always be the most important, will always be the scariest, will always be something that carries the most weight. So- they weren't understanding that she was like taking it completely out of context. This could have been about anything. Like this literally could have been a whole conversation if let's say the other side of the coin of what they were speaking about right in this moment was something silly or like with Erica or was something that was not so real. 
Crystal still could have made the exact same point. So it was just like a disadvantage for her that, of course, the thing that she's making a point about happens to be somehow even slightly tied to Dorit's robbery. It was never going to be a good situation because as soon as it gets to that point, Kyle and Erica and, of course, Dorit are so sensitive about it, as they should be, that they can't even hear or look at it from any perspective of like, why are you going to bring up your drama? Like Dorit was just burglarized. Right. And so on one hand, she was just feeling triggered in the moment and she had to say it. And it was like, you could tell how raw her emotion was. But at the same time, I was like, fuck, I wish this could be in the context of a less serious conversation because I think you'd have a better chance at being heard. I know. I almost wish that they had like one or two other fights before this discussion where Kyle and Dorit sort of did this thing that Crystal wanted to call them out on. And she could just say, see, there it is again. Like my point from last year is again right here. And I'm seeing it in real life and I'm seeing it as a pattern and here it is. Because I think, honestly, I think maybe Kyle and the other girls would have understood it better if it had been about something else, if it had been about something more similar on the same baseline of severity as the situation where Sutton walked in on Crystal and they could like process that more in their minds. I honestly think that that's how us as viewers felt too, was like, wait, how did we jump from this conversation about Dorit's robbery to now what happened to Crystal last year? And until you sort of like break it down and really hear again what she's saying of how we got here, like I wasn't, I I was so focused on that part that when we got to the Crystal conversation, like I wasn't fully there yet. But now when I see it, it's like, I completely see exactly where she drew the line between the two and what they were saying that reminded her so much of last year. Totally. And that's why I had to watch it twice. I mean, I think just to go back to a second to the Sutton Dorit Kyle situation, I think at this point I was kind of frustrated because she had already apologized. It was kind of over. There was no need for this whole thing to happen again. Or if they were going to bring it up again, nobody needed to really hammer down on her again. Like I, like I said, I think she already paid her dues. But one thing that I felt is that while I do agree you can't be the judge of someone else's empathy, I feel like there was a slight disconnect. And I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but Kyle was the only one that actually had that conversation with Sutton and actually heard her say it. And it was both the first time and then when she doubled down. And I know that later on, she has now explains her triggers and maybe given some more context as to why she reacted in that way. I, I do understand that. But I really do believe that if any of the other women actually heard it from Sutton's mouth in the way that Kyle did, they would be reacting kind of similarly. Not as dramatic because Kyle is just more dramatic in nature. It's, I think it's the reason a lot of people were calling her hypocritical this week for calling Crystal dramatic. But that was the one thing where I was like, unless you really heard it, I don't even think you have the fair shot of of judging. And it almost, to me, understood Kyle's reaction a little bit more. Well, yeah, that's what's hard is like us being there, quote, quote, being there to hear Sutton and see just sort of like her demeanor when Kyle was in hysterics talking about what happened. I did feel like, it was it was really insensitive and it was just sort of like without context a bizarre reaction to what she was talking about and that's what makes this whole thing hard but then on the other side i do agree that they can't say you did not react the right way like there is no right way and again after sun is explaining her backstory and her understanding she doesn't need to apologize for the way that she sees things she never meant to be disrespectful to Doree. and i felt like their conversation in kyle's store where she said in more words of course i 
feel for you and I'm horrified for you. And I, you know, I would never ever make light of that situation, but that was just like my immediate gut reaction. And it wasn't like Sutton was talking to Dorit. That's also what we remember is I think Kyle feels like she is so close and almost an extension of Dorit that it was personally offensive to her, but it's not like Sutton said these things to Dorit's face, which obviously would have been a lot worse. And it was sort of just like she had diary of the mouth and said things because she was uncomfortable and wanted to move on from it and didn't didn't want to get into it with Kyle in that moment. Right. And I almost felt like in this moment, Kyle wanted to look at the camera and be like, roll the fucking tape because I'm not exaggerating, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also a reunion thing is maybe when Dory watches exactly that conversation, she'll feel that hurt again, especially because it was like the morning after. It was so fresh for everybody that it, maybe she'll have a different reaction after seeing it. Maybe the other women will have a different reaction. I personally foresee Garcelle saying, yeah, that wasn't a great response. I, you know, it's not how I would respond, but Sutton is allowed to be her own person. She doesn't have to respond the way that I would or the way that Kyle would. Like you, you got to just take it for what it is. And everybody has their own reason for being and behaving the way that they do. Right. This Again, this is maybe not the best example because I do think that generally speaking, people weren't so on board with it. But exactly what that initial thread we read in the beginning says, she's kind of just blissfully unaware and she's just being to her own drum. And I think that historically there was a kind of loose script that was followed by the cast members. And she, it's true, she's shaking that shit up. Totally. Wait, and then in the midst of all of this is when Erica comes for her. So <laughs> there was so much happening. I felt like Erica wanted to seize that opportunity that everyone was sort of shitting on Sutton and making her look like the bad guy to say, see, Sutton, you're the underlying problem. Like, strengthen her argument. While everyone is having, like, this bad perspective of Sutton, or not everyone, but, you know, her, quote, team was having this bad perspective, throw in another reason for them to not like her. Throw in another, quote, example of a time that Sutton didn't handle things the right way. It was like, how was she not going to bring herself into it is what she thought, I think. Because like the way that we were just almost praising her for being kind of self-aware and putting her problems a little bit to the side, she came right back in this moment and was like, hey, don't forget about me. Yeah, no, this was not her best moment, especially because Sutton's response was like, I actually feel really good about how I handled it, which if I'm Erica, I'm just infuriated. You know, like here you are, you're thinking you're capitalizing on this moment, potentially think that she may be exhausted by the whole thing and want to just throw in an additional apology. And she's like, no, I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, how boring would this scene have been if Sutton didn't have a completely different perspective? Like if we just have 10 people who see things the same way, or we don't have someone like Crystal who's not afraid to bring up her own feelings right in the moment and not let them fester and then pull it up again in five weeks, what kind of show do we have? You know, that's like, that's the question. No, that's the beauty of the whole thing. It's just interesting seeing where everyone sits, not only in the cast, but also just the public. Because again, I do sometimes, even this week when I went on Twitter, I was like, okay, I wouldn't say I'm on completely opposite pages as I was last week. Last week, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And that's why I asked the question. This week, I was understanding it a little bit more. But I think just to be super transparent, some people really, really strong, I'm not going to say hate, but really strongly dislike Kyle. And I think some of the disconnect comes from the fact that I just don't feel that way. I agree. She's very dramatic, but in general, I do like her even when I think she handles things wrong. So like this crystal thing, 
not her best work. Absolutely not the way that she went about this. She was so caught up in the Dorit thing that I think she was struggling to understand where Crystal was coming from. But I guess I just can't lie and say that I hate Kyle in the way that I feel a lot of people do. And that could also cause some of the disconnect. Well, I also think at the end of the day, Kyle doesn't have bad intentions. I think it's it's clear here that her number one priority, and she almost had blinders on to anything else, was to protect Dorit and make sure all the conversation that happened, even remotely tiptoeing around Dorit and her robbery, was sensitive and put Dorit's situation in a place separate and afar from anything else that they consider drama or a problem that was going on. So I think that was her number one, was just like making sure that Dorit was protected at all costs and that they had some sensitivity when they were bringing up anything about this situation. And look, it didn't put her in a good position, but I think that she didn't care because she just wants to be a good friend to her and make sure in that moment, like she was speaking up, especially because I think she felt like Dorit was in so sensitive of a place that she couldn't speak up, even though she ended up doing it. You're right. It was it was a little bit of, of blinders, but I think if she was talking about it, she would just view it as loyalty. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just so excited for next week. I really love this. Every time I think that there's a franchise I love more than Beverly Hills. I am proven wrong. Although Potomac's not back yet, so we'll see. It's just great. I love it. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor, it's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago, now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Insults of the fucking century, Kenya telling Ralph that he reminds her so much of Mark. Like That is like the lowest blow I think you ever possibly could get. But in that moment, I needed to know if Ralph had a full understanding of who Mark Daly is because it doesn't hit the same if he doesn't. 
No, but us as viewers, we know who the fuck Mark Daly is, and that is, oh my God, that is like bad. But yeah. by the way, okay, I have an amazing POV. Mm. POV, you're Mark Daly. You meet Kenya. She's on some show, Housewives. You know a little bit about it, but you're a restaurateur in Brooklyn, and you're like, whatever. You know what? This woman's great. She's like, has this career. Fine. Two years later, the editors at Bravo are adding in this whole <laughs> black and white thing that says, the original Gaslight, colon, a prequel by Mark Daly. Like, do you think he even knows that that's going on? Like, I, so I just imagine someone's friend of a friend of a friend sending him a screenshot of that, and he's like, I'm not even married to her anymore. And here I am. They're making graphics about me. <laughs> he is literally the star of the Gaslight prequel. And on top of that... POV, you're Mark, and you find out that someone thinks you're like Ralph Pittman. Like, it's it's equally as much of an insult no matter which way you slice it. No, I just, I can't. Something I was really picking up on throughout this episode, and as I'm talking, correct me if I'm wrong or add in any that I'm missing, but I feel like Atlanta and Jersey are unique in the sense that Oftentimes it'll happen where a couple is having a situation and then it turns into almost a group discussion about it, but not in a way that feels intrusive. It's like everyone's kind of down for that dynamic. And I feel like in a lot of other cities, there's no way that a couple having a disagreement would then so openly turn into like almost a group analysis on it. That is like the theme of this episode was two couples therapy, but with an audience who had opinions. So here we have Candy and Todd on the bus really talking out their issues and they're not holding back. Like they're talking about each other and everyone in the group is chiming in and saying, Candy, you've lived this way for a while. And like, Todd, you want this, you know, you want this from Candy. And you're right. No one's getting mad. I think if they had crossed a certain line, maybe it would be a conversation later, but yeah, it was such a unique thing. And then again at the dinner table, we see Drew and Ralph legit saying and talking things out in not that way that you usually see when there's a group around, like with a real barricade and sort of like sugarcoating it. No, they were saying like really legit things that they had said with their therapist. And I feel like that comes from when you have cameras in on your therapy sessions, what's the difference if you then again say it at the dinner table? Whereas in like real life, you would never regurgitate things that you said in therapy at the dinner table. It would be such just like a boundary cross. But at this point, the boundaries are already blurred and completely gone. What's the point? And I, I loved it because then we're able to hear real time. It almost felt as if the women were at the reunion and they got to watch the clips of Candy and Todd or Drew and Ralph at therapy and give their perspectives, but it's in real time and it's with them at the dinner table and they're almost sorting through their problems and they did not hold back. And fucking Kenya versus Ralph, give that to me every day of the week. Every day of my life, I just want to watch Kenya in her full force take him out. I cannot stand this man. I, I, I can't even express to you, it is literally a Michael Darby equivalent, I think, in, in terms of the reaction that I have when I see him on my screen. But it's interesting because on one hand, I'm like, okay, I appreciate that Kenya can put her shit with Drew aside and she's going to come at this completely objectively. And she is, as a fellow woman, going to have Drew's back in the situation when she sees how much of a misogynistic gaslighter her husband is. So for that, I'm all there for. But then she turns it around and she's like, well, Drew doesn't let shit go, which kind of is true. But I don't know. To me, if I was Drew in that moment, I guess I would just be so pissed that like, 
okay, maybe you have issues with me as a friend. You can't then use that to make my husband's point stronger. Like, I know. I don't know. That, that's just when it gets really messy, even though I love when they do this. And Jersey does this as well. Like I love it because you feel like they're so close and I love getting in on it. But it's like, I don't know, to use a quality that you're pissed with your friend then in an argument with her husband, it's just, it's, mm, I don't know. The reason I did like that though was it didn't just come down to like the women are on Candy and Drew's side and the men are on Ralph and Todd's side. Like it was really actually what everyone thought. And also it was realistic. Like you're allowed to have both perspectives and both opinions be true and be relevant to the situation. Like you can think they're both wrong and you also can, as a third party, see where the problems are coming from because you know Drew doesn't let things go and you know Ralph is a fucking asshole reminds you of your ex-husband. So I I really almost appreciated that. Like if I'm Drew, of course I'm pissed, but I also respect it because it was like, it was honest. It, no, it, it was, listen, it was nothing if not honest and it wasn't like Kenny was doing it purposely to get back at Drew. She was just giving her honest take on all sides of the coin. I mean, they weren't even there for the Dr. Ken session. I was getting pissed just in the Dr. Ken session. <laughs> Were you getting pissed? Ken. No, I was like, I mean, he eventually kind of redeemed himself by making it more of a mutual thing. But in the beginning, I was like, wait a second, this feels like very Ralph heavy and I feel like I'm being gaslit just by watching. Right, like hyping up, oh, you threw this dinner that was so nice to make her feel special. And I, I, fucking Ralph, I hate him so much. And here we are at this dinner. Part one is therapy session with the whole group, everyone talking about their issues and Drew without a beat saying, oh, I don't wear my writing ring because, you know, it didn't fit after I was pregnant and now we've been having problems. So I'm not putting it back on. Okay, great. Bomb dropped. Then we're slowly transitioning and left with almost a to be continued of Sheree pulling up text from the shared assistant implying that Ralph is gay and proving that she didn't just pull this out of thin air and that their assistant has been saying shit about them. I mean, not a great dinner for Drew, but also very exposing for Ralph, I think. I, God, I will be shocked if by the reunion she doesn't say we're separating or we're not living together. I'll be absolutely shocked. I wish I could say that I was shocked. You know, I, I want to be shocked if that's not the case. I don't know if I fully trust that that's going to happen. I really don't. I hope. You know, it's, I hope. I know, but Isabel, think about it. She, You know, it's gone on for this long. And I think what happens sometimes is that you get sucked into this cycle. He's highly, highly manipulative. And she's yeah. just, you know, it's like I, I what she said about being in a washer on, on or dryer on spin dry. That's kind of, you can tell that she's in it. And she's trying. I mean, they're both trying, but they are just not compatible. How did you feel about, I think it was Sonia and some of the other women agreed with her saying you only, it is on Drew because you allow it. Like how did, how did you feel about that of her saying like, it's the behavior you allow. So it is on you too. It's a two, it's a two way street. I think that it's a statement you have to be really careful saying because mm -hmm. it, not in this particular situation, but I think that that can sometimes walk the line of victim blaming. In this particular situation, I think that that is partially accurate. You know, you have to have a certain level of self-respect to not, you know, allow someone to behave in that way. At the same time, I think that it gets complicated when you have children and there's so much involved. Yeah. So I, I, yes, I agree with that in theory. I just think that you have to be careful of the context in which you're using it. But, you know, what we have, what we've seen right now, I think that it's fair to 
to kind of say that. But I, I think he, you know, he makes her kind of crazy. You know, he's very, he's very skilled at what he's doing here. He's not operating at random, at least I don't believe. I think he knows the exact points to hit on to elicit this reaction from her. Yeah. Oh, he is a button pusher and also just a master manipulator, gaslighter, fucking asshole. I, I want to say this, but I don't want to like bring down the energy because I don't know if you felt this way. So if you didn't, I don't want to say it. But I got to tell you, when they were showing the Porsche flashbacks, I was just reminded at how much I miss her. And I know a lot of people were kind of fed up with her. They felt like, you know what, she ran her course and it's good that she's no longer going to be a housewife. I don't think I'll ever feel that way. Like I just find Portia to be so entertaining. So when they're doing flashbacks of her talking about Candy and Todd, even though I ride for Candy, I'm like, fuck, I miss Portia. I know. I love Portia. No one gave a confessional like Portia, maybe Phaedra but, and Nini, of course. But it's funny because I watched a couple episodes of Portia's Family Matters show, which was great. Like she is a natural on camera. You could just follow her around to be entertained. But there's something about her being in a group dynamic and the gossip and the shade and the dynamics of the group going on that she really shines. She really does shine. I mean, what do you think about the Candy Todd stuff? You think like when there's smoke, there's fire or you think it's bullshit? No, I think it's bullshit. I think that they are both really independent people. I think that they had such established lives and careers and also relationships before each other that when they got together, it's really like a partnership. I can't explain it. Like It's almost like they're co-CEOs of the life. They have their kids. They run all these businesses. They have all these like properties and they're best friends and they make it work for each other. And they're not really codependent on each other, which I think the other couples maybe looking in who really lean on each other or have that balance are so skeptical why Candy and Todd don't. And I think that's just their personalities and also the way that they operate. And honestly, I'm not worried about them. I think they have just a cool understanding of how they work and how they built their lives together. And like, I don't feel like Todd's cheating. I don't feel like Candy is like edging him out. I think that they both do their thing and they come back at the end of the day and they're happy. I don't know. What do you feel? I kind of feel the same way. I mean, listen, you, you never know. There's been cheating before that we would have been shocked by, and then it comes out to be true. So I guess you really never do know. But generally speaking, I'm not worried about the state of their relationship in the way that like they or other people seem to be. I, I agree with you. I just think that no matter who Candy is with, this is how it's going to be. And Todd has a point on some level in the sense that she is fiercely independent. That's not a bad thing. And I think she's, or I don't know if it was Todd that said this, or maybe it was Marla. Like, She's gotten accustomed over her life to kind of being, you know, this the center of things. And maybe sometimes that manifests itself in their relationship. At the same time, they wouldn't be living the life they do if she didn't, if she didn't bring to the table what she brings. So I do think it's mutually beneficial. I don't know. Maybe I'm off. I just don't feel as concerned as everyone else does. That being said, I can't tell you it's a relationship that I personally feel I would want to emulate in my own life. Like it's not, I don't view it as the model relationship necessarily, but I do think the shit is fine. Also, I feel like Candy has been put on such a unrealistic high pedestal when it comes to like sex and sexual relationships because she was the candy-coated nights, the sex toys. Like she was the highest freak number always in the room. So when people hear her say like, oh, we're not having sex that much or we rarely see each other or like we need to spice it up a little more, it's that much more shocking because they're like, 
what you, you know, like the sex goddess dungeon queen are not having sex eight times a day in every room of your house and in public. Like it's so unrealistic. And it's like, no, we're kind of just like a normal married couple now. And I still have that side of me, but I think people just like have these unrealistic like uh, images and dreams about Candy and Todd's sex life. It does make sense though. I think that that's something that can happen when you pride yourself on being such a sexual being that all of a sudden there are these expectations set for you and you can maybe almost feel a little bit shameful or embarrassed when you are not like quote practicing what you're preaching. At the same time though, I think it was Marlo who said like, you know, it's just too much sex. To me, I'm like, I will never subscribe to that. You know, like, okay, it's one thing if it's overly PDA for making other people uncomfortable, but if it's just a person, specifically a woman who's really, really confident in their sexuality and themselves as a sexual being, give that shit to me all day because it has been made to be so taboo and there's no reason for it. Like, I know this is not necessarily what we're talking about, but just follow with me for a second. From a very, very young age, it's totally normalized that like men jerk off and they can talk about it like it's nothing, quote, locker room talk. That's how it's summed up. And it takes so long for women a lot of times to be comfortable with discussing the idea of masturbation as if it's this like forbidden thing or this very taboo thing. And so I always appreciate women like Candy that bring these things to the forefront because it. a lot of times I do think that women's sexual needs are not prioritized. So like you know what? Maybe it's a little bit too much, but she's making up for a lot of lost time. I just love that we live in a world where some people plan a group trip and they send out matching t-shirts as like the pre-trip thing. And other people send naked people in BDSM to deliver remote control vibrating thongs. And you know what? I I love, I love living in that world. <laughs> I love that too. And also speaking of that, when Sonia goes to open the door, let me tell you something. Her husband was fighting for his fucking life to look <laughs> directly at, at that woman's eyes. I don't know if you caught that, but I was watching him the whole time. He was like sweating. He's like, God damn it. I, I'm being filmed right now. <laughs> Everyone's like, kids get in the basement. I know. That was so funny. Yeah. I mean, wait. Also, I love this whole conversation about this condo, this condo. We can't stop talking about condo. Oh, my God. We get to the condo. I'm like, you guys, this is nothing to write home about. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And Kenya comes in. She's already torn the place apart. I mean, Todd is literally putting his life on the line to keep this fucking condo with the spiral staircases up to... It's enough. It's enough of the condo unless they completely gut renovate it. I understand. Candy's like, put me in the addition Times Square where I have a view of the city and a fuzzy bathrobe. Someone cleans up after me and it's also not something you own with your ex. Like, I'm done. I'm out of here. And listen, I am from Jersey. I love Jersey. I'm, it's, you know, Jersey's biggest fan. But if you're coming to the city, you want to be staying in the city, especially if they're there for just three days. You don't need the commute time. What, she's going to come from Atlanta to New York and then still have to take the Lincoln Tunnel? That just feels like <laughs> no, absolutely that's, not. That's not allowed, honestly. No, that, Candy's like, I've worked, I'm working my whole life and working my ass off to be able to take weekend trips and come here and work and produce a show on Broadway and you're going to make me take the Lincoln Tunnel? No. Great. <laughs> Fuck that. No, she's like, I want to be on Central Park South at the Ritz. Like you said, beautiful bathrobe, Escalade waiting for me when I go downstairs. And you know something? She works really hard and I get that. I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping the condo, but if you're going to set the expectation that every time you go to the city, that's where you got to stay. Again, I am from Jersey. I absolutely love it. I get her argument entirely. No, Candy did not put her whole heart and soul into writing It Makes Me Ill for In Sync. 
to be in Jersey. I'm sorry. It's true. And like, I'm starting a petition, like get candy to Manhattan. Right. Get candy to Manhattan because that is where she wants to be. And I support that wholeheartedly. Hashtag sell the Jersey condo. (laughs) You don't even need to sell it. You just got to rent it out. Have listen there I'm sure there are some lovely Airbnb residents that would love nothing more than to shack up there for a weekend. I mean now it's a famous landmark. They could put a little plaque that says Todd's famous condo in Jersey and they could get a, a premium rate for it, I'm sure. They do the fireplace with like a little plaque designed by Kenya Moore. <laughs> I mean they no honestly they really could. I always think about that though with housewives. Like hypothetically speaking if Jacqueline had kept was able to keep that house She could rent it. I mean, these are literally the New Jersey landmarks. Actually, I was thinking, don't you feel like, just hear me out for one sec, in an alternate world that Teresa could have rented out that house in Montville, like literally as a tourist attraction? Oh, she could have done what Dorinda did where she had like the one night only stay at Bluestone Manor and they made so much money. I believe it was for charity, but even if it wasn't, rent out that house, make up some of your costs. Let all these Bravo fans like rent it out for a weekend and take all the photos and recreate all the scenes. Got yourself a business. You really do have yourself a business though. I mean, I think it would probably be an issue with the town, but I was really thinking (laughs) that. Like I I genuinely think she could make her money back by making that a tourist attraction. Too late now. Yeah. Anyway, is there anything else about anything that you want to mention? No, I think that's it. Okay. Well, I just had fun. You? I had the best time ever, of course. Okay, do not forget that we are off all of next week, but we will be back the following week. And we love you guys so much. Thank you for listening and letting us do this. And we'll be recapping Real Housewives of Dubai. Oh, yes. yes. Cannot wait. I'm rewatching Ladies of London right now in preparation, and I am just so all in on Car- Caroline Stanberry. I cannot even tell you. You have such an advantage because I am so unfamiliar with her, but I'll oh, familiarize myself. I know icon. you really know. I know icon, really icon, know. icon. Yeah. Okay. We love you guys. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you, or budget airlines with cheap fares but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada, yada, yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.